This episode is brought to you by newspapers.com, home to more than 700 million digitized pages of historical publications. We'll be talking with Jenny Ashcraft from newspapers.com about what you can find later in this episode. Welcome to the February 2022 episode of the Family Tree Magazine podcast. I'm Lisa Louise Cook. In this episode, we're going to talk about some of the challenges and solutions faced in African-American genealogical research with Family Tree University instructor Shamel Jordan. Then in our new Family History Home segment, we'll learn about a new storytelling online tool that uses artificial intelligence to make it interactive. And as I mentioned at the top of the show, this episode is sponsored by newspapers.com. And I am really happy to invite Jenny Ashcraft back to the show. You heard from her last month, and this time around, she's going to share her three top search tips that will help you find great content at newspapers.com. In our Best Websites for Genealogy segment, author Dave Frixell is back to tell us about some new ways to get your hands on French genealogical records. And then we will wrap things up at the editor's desk with the editor of Family Tree Magazine, Andrew Cook. He'll tell us about what we can look forward to in the next issue of the magazine. As always, we've got a lot to cover, so let's get to it. First up, Tree Talk. Rachel Christian is the social media editor at Family Tree Magazine, and that makes her the perfect person to find out what's trending and going on in the world of genealogy. Hi, Rachel. Hi, Lisa. How are you? Doing great. Looking forward to this episode, as always, and um, interested in kind of what's going on. So this episode is coming out February of 2022. What's kind of out there and happening in the world of genealogy? Yeah, so we've got a little bit of February left. So I thought today I'd just mention a couple of genealogy opportunities that are unique to February, as well as maybe just some inspiration for different things to you know, celebrate your love of family history during this month. So first of all, of February is Black History Month. And there's still, you know, plenty of genealogy events happening both in person and online through the National Archives, the Library of Congress, uh, and more. Um, I'll be sure to link, leave links in the show notes to the events pages of each of those institutions. And there's plenty to check out. There's online exhibits, there's videos, there's plenty of ways to kind of observe that occasion. Um, And if you haven't already, I would recommend checking out our African-American genealogy research page over on FamilyTreeMagazine.com, where we've got lots of articles, downloads, and we've also got a African-American course beginning on February 22nd. And like I said, all those links will be in the show notes, of course. Yeah, that's a terrific resource page. Thank you. Uh, February is also, this is kind of a lesser known observance, of course, but February is Library Lovers Month, and it's the perfect occasion to show your local library some love. Um, Some ways you can do that are, of course, donating or volunteering, or, you know, maybe it's been a while since you've checked out a book from the library. So we've got lists of the best libraries for genealogy research, um, as well as the best books on FamilyTreeMagazine.com, so I will leave those links in the show notes as well. And who knows, I mean, maybe there's a genealogy book that you haven't read yet. (laughs) And this is the month to show your local library a little love by checking it out and uh, yeah, learning something new this month. 
That's a great idea. I imagine too, just visiting the websites of some of our favorite libraries, they may have some special things going on since it's Library Lovers Month. That sounds awesome. I think we need a Genealogy Lovers Month. What do you think? Oh, I agree. But (laughs) I think every day is Genealogy Lovers Month. So true. So true. Awesome. Thank you so much, Rachel. We'll talk to you again next month. Thanks, Lisa. Bye. Every ancestor poses their own unique set of challenges for us as we try to learn more about them. Researching African-American ancestors, of course, is no exception. And here to tell us more about the unique challenges and some of the answers to those challenges is Shamel Jordan. She's the instructor of this month's online course at Family Tree University. It's called Researching African-American Ancestors. Welcome to the show, Shamel. Hello, hello. Thank you so much for having me. Oh, it's so wonderful to have you here. And uh, I saw <laughs> I saw this course coming up and I thought, oh, we've got to get you on the show and, and talk about it. <laughs> because, you know, there are those unique challenges, of course, in all the different family lines that we research. And I'd love to have you kind of start us off with an overview of what are some of the biggest challenges that we face when we're researching African American ancestors, particularly before 1870? That's kind of a, a unique spot in history, right? It most definitely is. I would say the most unique challenge before that is just understanding that African American genealogy is pretty much the same until you get to that point. But as you said, once you get to 1870, you know, it's really different. And of course, the reason is because before 1865, we were enslaved. And so because of that, you have challenges that are quite different from researching any other line. And usually that deals with your name. Um, We are so used to and tied to finding our ancestors by searching for their names. Well, an enslaved person didn't have rights. Often they were not referred to in paperwork as their names. They could be Negro, uh, woman, male, and their age. So it's really important to, because of that, to spend much more of your time before 1870. So that means from the present day back to 1870. I always say, if you research pre-1870, that means 1860s, 1850s, you need to be really strong and you need to have built an amazing foundation before you even begin. And that foundation, that's starting with ourselves, working backwards, I assume, collecting as much as possible before we get to that point. And exactly, exactly. And so and gosh, you talk about names, such an essential part of who a person is. And it's something we rely on so heavily as a a researcher. Do you find that researching the enslaver is as important as the enslaved so that you because they're kind of in a sense living together and I imagine that there is an intermingling of information. Most definitely. That is part of uh, the methodology to understand once you get during to that time period. But before we get there, we have this five-year period that everyone kind of jumps over because 
hey, we need to find our Kunta Kinte, right? We need <laughs> right. to find who was that enslaved person. And so as soon as we get to 1870, we're looking for enslavers. I ask everyone to just take a pause and look that there are five years there. There are five crucial years where you can collect so many records and fill in so much information that can enable you to then go look for enslavers and possibly the search between 1865 and 1870 can yield you with more clues, if not the name of the person, if you your people were enslaved, who they were. And that it would be spending time in records like the Freedmen's Bureau records, spending times in county records, looking at voter registrations, because guess what? Before 1865, we couldn't vote. But in 1865, they had to create polls and list of who the voters were. And that was one of the first times we would have been included um, in that type of record. So, yeah, the enslaver is important, but spend time during Reconstruction. Reconstruction is a big time period. Then and only then... Once you have your understanding of Reconstruction, then and only then do you start looking for the enslaver. And that would include looking in county records. And essentially, once you have someone who you believe is possibly the enslaver, that's when you start researching their family as if they're your own. Wow, it's such a fascinating journey of research. And you make such a great point about the Freedmen's Records. Uh, we've had some folks here on the show in the past talking about those and so many important records in such a small, compact period of time. You know, you've presented some of these challenges and they're, and they're big, but you have lots of strategies for folks. Tell us about, in. I know you do the four-week course. What do you cover? What will people learn? And can they come to this with very little experience and still be able to follow along with you? Oh, everyone's welcome. It is definitely um, an introductory course. But I've also found that people who have intermediate skills or or advanced skills, sometimes when you take an intro course, um, what it does is it helps to fill in some gaps. So basically, we start with an overview of African American genealogy and a historical background, which is key for all genealogy, you have yes. to understand the history. After we cover that part, then um, we cover from the present moment back to 1870. What are the key records? What are the foundational records that can help you to get a better understanding of who your family is? Then we go and we try to tackle those older records, 1860s, 1850s, back into uh, Reconstruction and the Antebellum period. And like I said earlier, that would cover like the Freedmen's Bureau records. It would get into more federal records. We would talk about United States color troops. Oh my goodness. If you find that you have a United States color troops in your family, 
juicy, juicy, juicy pension <laughs> uh, records for the Civil War soldiers. Um, we talk about that. And of course, to trace the enslaver, you want to look at those county records. And even if you didn't have an ancestor that was enslaved, the county records, uh, they have registers of free people of color. So I'll talk about how to find those and how to decipher what are they actually telling you. And of course, there is a case study that's involved in the course where I show how I found, along with a, a cousin, my cousin Floyd, how we were able to find um, an enslaver for one of our lines. Fantastic. Now, I know that the course is four weeks. <clears throat> Do they have to start at the very first day or is this sort of self-paced? How does that work? Oh, my goodness. It's self-paced, which makes it really cool. Mm-hmm. And some people come in and they finish it like in the first day. <laughs> It's so funny. They finish it the first day. Some people, it takes, you know, they finish in a week. And some people, they do one out. They do it once a week. They finish it, you know, at the end. And so it's totally up to you. You work at your own pace. And I'm there to monitor and answer questions. So, yes, you can work at your own pace. Wow. And that's the beauty of it is they get access to you and your knowledge and can run questions by you. And I mean, that's what I love about teaching the courses is that it's that interaction uh, with the students. You've really laid out a, a terrific course. Would you be willing to share one of your favorite tips or perhaps um, something that people should do now before they get started in taking a course like this? I would say the before. I love pre-work. First, I would say come with a particular lineage, you know, a line that you're interested in and maybe use them to work through the examples with and, you know, get deeper with them. Um, I would definitely encourage for the area that you're looking for to learn some of the history of that area. One of my best tips, and it's not really a tip, is to plan. Oh my gosh. <laughs> if you just write down a plan, you would be amazed at the territory that you can cover and not go around in circles or have that night where you're searching and you think you found something great and you say, you find it and you're like, oh, I already have this. Mm-hmm. Write a plan, create a plan. I definitely talk about that during the course in ways to do that, to be successful, because I want everyone to be successful. And you can't be really successful without a plan, especially for the big work that we want to do. Well, you are a genealogist after my own heart, because I feel so strongly <laughs> the same thing. And it's funny, because there's so much wonderful enthusiasm in, in your average genealogist, and yet that can sometimes cause us to jump over that. And it's so critical. So and it will help them be more successful and get more out of it. Well, the course we've been talking about that Shamel Jordan is teaching is Researching African American Ancestors, and it is a four-week course. It's kind of a self-paced on-demand course over at Family Tree University, and we will have a link in the show notes for this podcast, so you can go check that out. And um, Shamel, thank you so much for just kind of inspiring us to kind of get started, and where can folks (laughs) get in touch with you and, and find out more about what you do? Sure. I'm the host and producer of Genealogy Quick Start. We go live every other Thursday at 3 p.m. Eastern. Definitely check us out on YouTube and Facebook to stay up with the community and um, join in during the show. You can interact because it is live. 
Absolutely. Thank I love you it. For having me. <laughs> Being somebody who does a live show on YouTube as well, that is it is so much fun. And it can be a little nerve wracking. It is. And people get a little scared to kind of jump in their first time. But don't you find that once they do, they're like back every time? Look, they get mad. People get mad at me. Like, I need to personally call and text each one of them (laughs) to say, I'm about to go live. They get mad when they don't come on live. They like recording, but they want to be on live. Well, it's (laughs) super fun. I highly recommend it. Shamel, thank you so much for joining us here on this podcast. Thank you. Genealogists are in it for the long game, the really long game. We hope that our work is going to last for generations beyond us. Well, there's a new app that's striving to help family historians meet this challenge. It's called StoryFile. And here to tell us more about it is the co-founder and CEO, Heather Smith. Welcome to the show, Heather. Oh, thank you. Well, I was reading a little bit about StoryFile, and um, you say that it's a storytelling app that will preserve the future ability to interact with your loved ones. And that sounds really intriguing. So mm-hmm. how does StoryFile do that? So StoryFile Life is a web-based app that allows everyone to record their the story of their life through a series of questions, and it's a video recording. So you don't lose any of the nonverbal communication that we would typically lose if it was just audio or if it was written. So it allows you to record all the answers to every single question and create this magnificent, rich story of your life in a form that allows people to just engage with you. So it it's, it's really, it allows them to ask the questions that they're curious about and follow down any path that they would like to go, just like a typical conversation that you're having with your grandmother at a kitchen table. You know, um, it, it allows you to do that. And even for you, you may have different questions at 30 than you might have at 60. And then all of a sudden, those family members that you want to ask these questions to, to are no longer with us. So it allows you to just each generation to get to know past generations that all these stories form our identities. And it just allows that, that knowledge and that connection to be that much deeper. And it sounds like it's kind of a time shift tool is the idea here that we could be recording these today, but that down the road, even after we're gone, somebody in our family could then come back and view these and and do the interaction. Yes, that's exactly the point. You can, um, for example, film them if, God forbid, something were to happen and you weren't there for your children's weddings. You could film messages. You could tell them about your your story, your life. You know, they might not have been interested at this point in your life and the details uh, or their heritage, for that matter. But there will be a time when they will be interested in all of that. Or three or four generations down the line, just to get to know who these people were that created who you are and your story and really get to know them, really see them answer questions, see their body language, feel, look them in the eye, listen to their stories, learn from them, whoever they are. It, you know, even if they're family members, they could be family members, they could be 
people that you, you know, experts in certain fields that you want to talk to. I mean, think about it. If we were able to talk to Martin Luther King or JFK today and ask them questions about their life and you get to do it, you get to be the reporter. So you're in the seat, you control the whole conversation and you can just connect with them on a completely different level. So let's talk a little bit about the mechanics of it, because uh, the person who's being interviewed is recording that, obviously, mm-hmm. at a different time. And mm-hmm. then somebody else can pull this up on the app or the website, and they can ask questions with audio, or they can select from questions. So there must be kind of a a basic list of questions that you guys provide yeah. that the initial person answers. Mm-hmm. And how does that connect up with the potential of what somebody might ask down the road? So there's a total of 1600 questions in the script right now in the storyline, you go in and you basically choose which questions you'd like to answer. Um, You could do it several ways, but it depends on your experience. It depends on, you know, different things. Like let's say you're not in your golden years. So obviously at that point, you're not going to answer all the questions about golden years. Um, You're going to concentrate. You might want to concentrate more on your career. You might want to concentrate more on just family and, and sharing your heritage and what you know, before you forget it all. You can come at it in different levels. What we're about is we're about keeping your story in your words, in your voice for all time. So we're about making it authentic, having it authentic and keeping it authentic to you. We don't edit anything that you've recorded. We don't manipulate it in in any way. It is whatever you've said in your throughout your story file is that data set that will be used to answer all the questions that others might ask you along the way. Um That's very important to us because, you know, think about it. I don't want something or some computer or someone deciding what my grandmother's answers should be to me if I asked her a question. Yeah. And God forbid they try and duplicate body language, which is actually a lot of, it's a huge percentage of uh, communication that's something that you can't replicate. Like you would never know whether or not my grandmother was looking away or, you know, she's smiling when she's saying something, you you can hear it in her voice through audio sometimes, but you, you wouldn't be able to take an avatar and replicate that. So we truly believe that the best way to leave your story is for you to tell it in your own words. So one of the questions I think that people might have is, if this is being recorded today, we all know just kind of being online and um, using technology that websites come and go, you know, links get broken, stuff happens. What kinds of things are you guys putting in place so that somebody can comfortably say, I know that 50 years from now, I'm going to be able to see these videos? Yeah, you can download all the entire content. It won't be interactive. So you won't be able to ask it questions without our backend and our software. Um, so we're in it for the long haul. Like you started this, this conversation, um, saying that genealogists are in it for the long haul. We are in it for generations and that, that content you will always have, and you'll always have control over it. You'll have control over who sees it. 
you'll have control over when they see it. Um, whether you make it public, you keep it private. You know, we have some clients that are even just putting it in their will. So it's a URL, just like a YouTube video. You put it in your will. And at that point, she wants her family members to discover it. So it's, um, there are a lot of different ways, but we take security and we take the stories very, very seriously. We preserve all the content for you. Um, and you know, if anyone wants to go into what's involved in that, I can, I can go into that, but it's a long conversation. Uh, it's not just storing it. Preserving it is, is different than storing it. And I don't know if a lot of people understand that, but we take great care and it, great. We're honored and humbled to have the responsibility to take care of their stories. So great. If somebody wants to kind of give this a shot and um, see how it works and interact with it, how do they get started? What can they do? So they would go to storyfile.com slash life. Everything should be listed out there. It's a pretty simple website. So we've been told you go through the steps. You can um, step one, you know, you sign up, you might choose your questions. You might do the free trial just to get a feeling for it. Um, go in, you choose your questions and then bam, you start recording. And it's as simple, literally as simple as turning on the recording button, answering the question and then turning off the recording button. It's, it should be really self-explanatory. There are lots of tutorials on there. Um, lots of hints and tips for telling your story, things like that. Uh, you know, making it nice visually, uh, things that you can do to enhance it. So yeah, you just have fun with it. Great. And so they probably need to have either use their built-in webcam or hook up a webcam, something. Yeah, we built it it so that everybody could use the recording device that they have access to. So whether that's your phone, you can do it on your mobile device. Oh, great. Uh, You can do it on on a laptop. You can do it on your computer. You can hook up a webcam to your computer if you wanted. If you do the premium package, you have the option to do it in a higher fidelity in which case you might want to use a webcam. Um, This is a great thing, by the way, for grandkids to do with their grandparents or even, you know, kids to do with their, with their parents and spend time doing something that's meaningful. Um, And I guarantee you, I, I have yet to watch one interview or be involved in one interview where a family member has not been, you know, with that individual that we're interviewing And every single time they have always heard something that they had never heard before. Um, So you do learn a tremendous amount through this exercise. And it's actually, it's really interesting because the interviewees, they love this. You know, even if they're kind of hesitant going in, it's a really unbelievable experience when you are asked questions about your life, literally from the first memory you can remember throughout your whole life, you, you talk about things you haven't thought about. You reflect on things you really hadn't thought about in years, possibly, or even ever. Um, you're asked questions about things that don't come up normally. So yeah, not in everyday life anyway. Um, so these are all really insightful interviews. Well, and it sounds like it does a, a nice job of kind of removing some of the obstacles to, mm-hmm. to recording those kinds of interviews, having the questions, having kind of the interface and 
ready to go. Well, yeah. if, if those of you listening are interested in checking it out, we will have a link in our show notes here to StoryFile and Heather Smith. Thank you so much for coming on the show and sharing it with us. Thank you, Lisa. Thank you for having us. Do you want to learn more about your ancestors? You can do it on newspapers.com. But you might be wondering where to start. There are undoubtedly stories about your family history on newspapers.com just waiting to be discovered. So Jenny Ashcraft from newspapers.com is here to talk about three search tips for success in finding your ancestors on the website. Welcome to the show, Jenny. Thank you so much for inviting me, Lisa. Oh, it's great to have you back. You were here last month talking about how the records at newspapers.com helped you solve a genealogical mystery, which was awesome. I'd love to have you share some of the strategies that you use yourself. What are your top three tips? Well, I think my top three tips would be number one, from the homepage, enter your ancestor's name in the search box. And what you have to remember is enter that name, how it may have appeared in the newspaper. For example, if your ancestor is William Allen McGee, he may be referred to in the paper as W.A. McGee or W. McGee or Will McGee. Try all kinds of variations until you find success. And here is a little pro tip. By using quotation marks around the name, it will only turn results where those two words are found together. Oh, that's great to know that the quotation marks work. So I could see how that would really filter things down. Great tip. How about number two? Well, number two, newspapers.com has easy to use search filters that can help you narrow the results by the date and the location. So if William McGee lived in Kansas, start your search in Kansas. If he was born in 1835 and died in 1890, try narrowing, narrowing the search to those dates. Now, keep in mind that sometimes we might find our ancestors mentioned in newspapers long after their death. Uh, for example, one day I came across an 1899 article about a family reunion where they wrote really the entire history of this family dating back to the Revolutionary War. The article included information on 66 family members. I counted them. And many of them had been gone for years. So when you're searching for your ancestors, start narrow, but don't be afraid to expand and go and search beyond the years of your ancestors' life. And a third tip, um, newspapers.com has developed machine learning algorithms to scour all the papers in our archives. And we've identified nearly 250 million obituaries and 67 million marriage announcements. And you may have seen these hints on your ancestry tree. So you can go to newspapers.com and search for all your ancestors in either the obituary index or the marriage index. Now, we love obituaries and marriage announcements because they often contain such rich family detail. Um, just the other day, I found an obituary for one of my ancestors that died in 1918 when he was 99. And it talked about his family um, moving, traveling on a barge to settle in Ohio in 1830. Well, I knew this ancestor had four children. 
But as I read his obituary, I was surprised to learn that he was actually the father of seven. I I was missing three kids. After digging a bit more, I I managed to find an article, a newspaper article about one of those little daughters drowning in a creek in 1860. Now, I'm still searching for the other two, but without that obituary, I would not have known about the entire family. So if you haven't explored our obituary or our wedding index, you are in for a treat. Oh, it's an amazing story. And folks that are listening, uh, they can do all that searching that you just recommended, three great tips, over at newspapers.com, where you can get a seven-day free trial, which makes it really easy to get started. Thank you so much for sharing your search tips, Jenny. Thank you. It's been a pleasure to be here. In today's Best Websites for Genealogy segment, we're heading to France, or at least we're heading to French records. And our tour guide is none other than author David Frixell. Hi, Dave. Hello. Finally, I get to use all those uh, seven years of high school and college French. Pew. Uh, Oh, you're you're good. You're ahead of me. I only had two, and and it it didn't go that well. Uh, you know, you know, in the genealogy industry, we've been hearing a lot about French records, really over the last year, I think. And it sounds like a lot of them, there were some startup companies, and then those records have been heading to some of the bigger genealogy websites. So who are the major players right now in French records? Right. Well, it, it felt for quite a while like French records were kind of trailing behind. I mean, you could get, you know, lots of English records and you know, other from other countries, but the the French scene just didn't seem as as lively. Um, mm-hmm. But there were, have been two fairly long-standing companies: um, Filet F I L A E and Genianet. And Filet is sort of a more conventional, you know, collection of databases um, subscription kind of deal. Genianet has kind of evolved. I, I, I can only describe it as sort of oddly. I wrote a, a guide to Genianet for the family tree website that folks can find. And it's sort of this mix of like family trees and indexes from various associations. And um, it has various sort of levels that you can or cannot get into. And it also has a premium tier that lets you get into some of the things and also have more advanced search. Mm-hmm. So in relatively short order, almost simultaneously, it feels like my heritage bought Filet and Ancestry bought uh, Genianet. And it's not crystal clear because, you know, they sort of want you to think this is all their stuff. But it's not completely clear which things on those two sites now are coming from their recent acquisitions. But you can at least sort of get a general idea. And there certainly is a lot more French records if you just look for What's new on my heritage or ancestry and French records? There's an awful lot all of a sudden. Yes, absolutely. Now they purchased those companies. Can you still visit Filet and Genianet separately in, on their own on their own websites, or is, are they kind of closed down? Everything goes to the big My Heritage and Ancestry. Yes, they're both. You know, still as far as I can tell, the same as as always. I didn't even see any real reference to you know their new uh, overlords and they still you know operate pretty much as before there was some indication that particularly with genianet that ancestry subscribers might be able to get 
some sort of access there. I tried logging in, and uh, that's not working yet, if it ever will. But clearly, if you search Ancestry's card catalog for the keyword GeniaNet, um, all of a sudden, there are about 18 databases that show up. And one can only suspect that there will be a lot more in the future because there are a lot more uh, things on GeniaNet. Some of the GeniaNet things are in partnership with other like French associations and societies and so forth. So it's not clear, you know, whether those will be fair game, you know, or not. Sounds like a real mix of records, some diversity between the two collections. Were there things that stood out in what Ancestry acquired that uh, you thought was kind of noteworthy? It seems in terms of what they what's on there now, that it depends on where your ancestors in French lived. Um, mm-hmm. And the, you know, the numbers are pretty impressive. You know, I'm just looking here, there's like 2 million, 4.9 million, 11 million records. Um, so there's a, there's a lot of records. They're mostly vital records, a few censuses. At this point, at least, it's only from particular provinces. You know, the Ordan, um, there's a bunch of Rhone records, um, you know, Vienne census, and so forth. So it's kind of, you know, potluck as to whether your French ancestors are, uh, you know, on there or not. I haven't tried looking for my Rousseaus, who are my only real French ancestors, yet, because I don't really know where they're from. But of course, with Ancestry, you could just go on and search. And then if they're in any of these relatively new French records, then uh, you will find them regardless. So would I be correct in assuming that you probably need the world subscription to Ancestry since these are French records, not U.S. records, in order to be able to see them, right? Yes, that would be right. Yeah, they're, uh, you know, they have a lot of stuff all around the world, but you can only get it if you're willing to, uh, you know, shell out for it. To get that that larger world um, subscription. And over at MyHeritage, right. so they got filet, and you said that you saw a lot more of the kind of traditional vital records and that type of thing over there. Any standouts over there in terms of collections? Yes, the numbers here are, are really impressive. You know, they have France Vital Record Index, and you can tell, even though it doesn't say filet anywhere that I could find, um, it was added December 6th of last year, oh, so and as much right. as new. So that's civil registrations, and there are 357 million records. So, okay, that looks pretty good to me. There also are some individual ones, much like on Ancestry, from particular locations in there. But it's really worth taking a look at some of these large ones. A bunch of military records that look like have been added, some censuses with images, and all these have been added since, uh, like in the fall, so you're suspecting these are, you know, fairly recent there's compilation of vital records, civil registrations, and the, the other really big one is there's a death index that has 25 million records. So, you know, right now I would say if you have French ancestors, my heritage has a bit of an edge, at least in terms of what's new, because they have these really big indexes that, you know, you can at least get a good start on. If you don't know where your ancestors in France are from, for example, that's probably going to be the best place to start. And then maybe jump on over to Ancestry and, you know, take a look there. So what do you think now that they've got these big companies behind them? Uh, you think we'll see even additional, kind of a bigger influx now that they've got some resources to go acquire more records? It will be interesting to see, you know, these have sort of gone in two ways in, in terms of acquisitions. 
um, on online sites. Some have, you know, seem to have really been boosted by being acquired. Others have kind of withered on the vine as the, you know, main interest seems to be in driving subscribers to the big sites, you know, to the parent sites. So, you know, we'll we'll have to see. So, you know, certainly, if you already have, let's MyHeritage, probably the best example. If you already have a MyHeritage, you know, research subscription, you probably are going to want to exhaust that before going over and shelling out for a separate Philae subscription, which might or might not, it's hard to tell, have that much more. For if you are interested in GeniaNet, it's probably worth doing a deep dive in that because they have, they have their own trees and things. So those are all, you know, going to be separate and probably not at least completely subsumed by Ancestry initially. But it's hard to tell. You never know with these things. Exactly. They, I don't know that they even said whether or not they were actually acquiring their trees, too, and incorporating those. I imagine probably not, at least right out of the gate. And with Genianet, the trees are really kind of the heart of it, and that's kind of where the, the site seems to want you to start. So it's a good idea to you know start exploring their trees. And then they have a lot of also user-submitted indexes and files and that sort of thing. So that's probably the case where less of the content naturally fits with Ancestry because they're not these neat, large databases. Sometimes some of the things on Genianet are like 500 records and, you know, they're these little teeny things that someone has indexed, which if it happens to have your ancestors, that's fantastic. But they're not really a fit for sort of bigfooting around, you know, 25 million records or something. Exactly. Well, great. Okay, so some of the best websites for French records, Filet, which is now with MyHeritage, and Genianet, which is now with Ancestry. Dave, you're a great tour guide. Thank you so much for taking us on a tour of French records. Well, thank you very much. Bonjour. I should say merci beaucoup. <laughs> Bonjour. It's time to stop by the editor's desk, and today we're talking to the editor of Family Tree Magazine, Andrew Cook. Hi, Andrew. Hi, Lisa. Hey, it looks like the uh, March-April issue of the magazine is just about to come out. How about giving us a preview of what we can look forward to reading about? Yeah, so this issue, we're preparing for the 1950 census by featuring a cover story on how to research your family throughout the 1940s. So that will help you fill in the gap between the 1940 U.S. Census and this 1950 census that's going to come out here in April already, which is really exciting. So the author, Sonny Morton, goes through a variety of different record types that you can consult that'll get you up to, right up to, that census date of early April 1950. Yeah, that's that's a great idea because I think a lot of people very quickly jump back in their family tree and, and you go back and you're trying to get ready for 1950 and you realize, oh, I'm actually missing some stuff <laughs> on the family right. in the early 20th centuries. That's a great idea. Right. Especially since there might not be an index or a night might not be a very reliable index right when this, the records come out. So by knowing your family's address and figuring out the enumeration district number, using that information, getting that information from those records, that Sonny mentions, that'll help you be prepared and ready to go right when the the records are available. Awesome. What else are we going to see in that issue? We have an article from a writer named Sophia Wilson, who during her COVID lockdown, and you know, I I can't say I was quite this productive, but she wrote an 160,000 word history of her family. And so she shares some steps that she took to take her family stories and put them on the page. So if our readers and listeners like me have a long-term goal of 
someday writing a family narrative or publishing your family history in some way, um, the tips that she shares in that article are going to be really, really useful to get you started. I've been looking forward to that article. We talked to Sophia here on the podcast last month, and it was Mm -hmm. very inspiring. So it's going to be great to have her tips. Yeah. And sort of rounding out the issue, we also have tips for searching records on MyHeritage, written by Daniel Horowitz himself. He's sort of the uh, MyHeritage guru. So a great article looking into how to get more out of the MyHeritage search. Terrific. So that's all coming up in the March, April issue of 2022 Mm -hmm. of Family Tree Magazine. And the other thing that's kind of coming around the corner, we've mentioned it here on the show before, which is uh, Roots Tech Connect. And that's soon. That's March 3rd through the 5th. Tell us about that. What are you guys going to be doing? Well, we'll be in the exhibit hall again. So you can pop by our booth and see what we've got there. We've got a couple demos, a look inside um, the January, February issue of the magazine. You can take a tour through one of our Family Tree University courses, as well as the FamilyTreeMagazine.com website. Uh, and in terms of freebies, because, you know, I know when I'm at a conference, where's the free stuff? Yeah. Let me load up my bag. So to load up your, uh, your virtual bag here, we've got a free PDF copy of the January-February issue and a special coupon code for almost everything in our online shop. So, you know, in addition to all the great classes and uh, all the other great exhibitors, you can find us there at, at the conference. Terrific. And the discounts too. So wonderful. That's mm-hmm. going to be at Roots Tech Connect. And they're going to have that big exhibit hall virtually. So you can go by and visit Family Tree Magazine. Wonderful. Sounds terrific. Thanks so much, Andrew. And I'm sure we'll talk to you again very soon. Yep. Take care, Lisa. Thanks so much for joining me for this February 2022 episode of the Family Tree Magazine podcast, the show from America's number one genealogy magazine. You can find the show notes for uh, this episode and all of our episodes over at FamilyTreeMagazine.com slash podcast. Of course, if you're listening in a podcast player, we sure do appreciate when you give us those wonderful five-star reviews. Let other genealogists know why you enjoy the show and why they should listen. Thank you so much for doing that. And of course, if you want to uh, stay in touch with me, you can do that over at genealogygems.com and also at the Genealogy Gems YouTube channel. Until next time, have fun climbing your family tree.